I'm Shachar Azani, and in the news, Israel under attack. The last few days have seen more than 600 Hamas missiles fired into Israel from Gaza. Those reached the very heart of Israel and brought about the injury of dozens of Israeli civilians and several fatalities reported. We at JBS stand by the state and the people of Israel in this trying time. With me is our very own Tisha Bader, and together we will discuss the current situation in Israel and what's to come. Tisha, how are you? I'm okay, Shachar. How are you? Tough times. You know, you it's speak with family in Israel. You have family as well there, right? It is tough times for sure. Um, I'm sure, like me, as soon as the news of this started yesterday, you were on your WhatsApp and on your phone. Are you okay? Are you okay? Is this person okay? And calling everyone and hearing from everyone. It's very, um, it's very concerning and frightening for sure. You know, it's a, it's a source of um, major frustration because the problem with this situation is that not, none of it was unexpected. I mean, things have been, we've known what Hamas has been doing there for many years. Um, I remember, and you're, you're going back two decades to the time when Hamas just started experimenting with the missiles and started injuring civilians in Sderot and, um, and just has continued to do so while improving their capabilities. And it's utterly amazing to me that we reach this point where some people are actually surprised by what happened. But the fact is that much of the aid money that entered into Gaza that Hamas received did not go to build hospitals, did not go to build um, schools or facilities for ordinary civilians. It went to build the military infrastructure of this terrorist organization. Were, were you surprised by any of it, Tisha? I think what surprised me was that they fired rockets on Jerusalem. That's something that has not happened since Operation Protective Edge in 2014, that's seven years. Um, that surprised me. Jerusalem is usually not targeted by Hamas. And the fact that they issued an ultimatum last night saying that unless Israeli security forces leave the Temple Mount where they were because there were tens of thousands of Palestinians who had stockpiled rocks and weapons inside uh, the, mosque, the Mosque of Al-Aqsa, they you know, were, and were rioting and uh, attacking. So the Israel, Israel police were forced to go in. They didn't want to go in. It's a very sensitive area, as most people know. It's a very, very tricky situation, but they were forced to go in. And then Hamas issued this ultimatum, we will attack Jerusalem. I did find that surprising. And then they followed through on their threat, fired seven rockets at Jerusalem last night. Unfortunately, that was just the beginning of what we're seeing since then. As you said, hundreds and hundreds of rockets being fired at Israel, not just the Jerusalem rockets were last night. And today we saw all across southern and central Israel and in Tel you know, to Tel the Tel Aviv area, which again, we don't usually see. So that really surprised me, not that they have the capability, but that they threatened and then they followed through on those threats. But, but here is, um, you know, on that issue, I have to, there is a slight point there that sometimes I find uncomfortable. And when, you, when we're talking about firing missiles into Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, or doing it into Tel Aviv, and indeed it's terrible and it's an escalation, but in a way, 
to me, it's just as bad that they've continuously done so with the southern part of Israel, with Zerot and with the Negev and those areas. And the response of the Israeli government has not been sufficient, and it needs to be said, has not been sufficient when such attacks transpired against the south of Israel. And because that was the situation, Hamas allows itself to take the next step and say, if I've been able to get away with it, like only um, right before this engagement, it was then Prime Minister Sharon who decided to withdraw from Gaza in the hope of reaching some sort of a progress in the geopolitical situation in Israel with the Palestinians and the world. And I'll never forget what Prime Minister Sharon said. He said, Netzarim and Tel Aviv are one and the same. That is to say that Netzarim that used to be within Gaza and Tel Aviv, because first the rockets came from within Gaza into within Gaza, the settlement area in the northern parts of Gaza. Netzarim is just like Tel Aviv. And when something happens there, we need to retaliate. And you know what? The principle is correct. And what we're seeing now is a manifestation of that principle. Had the state of Israel treated that threat seriously years ago, we would have never reached this point. There is also an element of naivete here because Israel looked at Gaza Strip and said, you know what, we're leaving them alone. They're doing their own thing. They're building infrastructure. They're, you know, we know it's Hamas, but maybe they'll try and be a, a normal government. Maybe they'll try and really take advantage of this opportunity and create something for themselves. Um, and they'll leave us alone because we're not doing anything to them. We're not hampering their efforts. We're not interrupting them. For goodness gracious me, we allowed them, the Israeli government allowed the uh, Hamas to receive money from Qatar in suitcases for their own needs. So at the end of the day, we felt that, you know, they do their thing, we do our thing, we don't love each other, but at the end of the day, we, we can live side by side. And then we wake up and we find that this is not the situation and it's all coming back to bite us in the behind. Well, I will clarify, it certainly did not mean that rockets on Sirot or anywhere is any less horrendous than rockets in Jerusalem no, no, Tel Aviv. Sure. That was not my, sure. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's equally, rockets anywhere in Israel is unacceptable and absolutely should be condemned by the entire world. Yeah, but you're, um, but you're not the it, only one who is saying it, Tisha, and that's important to clarify. You know, a lot of people around, and even Israelis are saying, you know, there is one thing to do the south of Israel and it's another to do Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. And yes, this is an escalation, but I think that it's, it's an important moment to just look back at what we've grown to take for granted. You know, you mentioned Protective Edge in 2014. Isn't it tragic to think that those uh, 73 lives lost of, if I'm not mistaken, 68 soldiers of the Israel Defense Forces and five civilians, and were exactly at the same uh, spot, not to mention worse? It's a terrible well, thing. It is terrible, but it's also really tricky, Shacham. As you, I know that you know, you know, when Qatar gave, brought money into for the Palestinians, it was for the Palestinians, right? It was to help the, the healthcare or basic needs of Palestinians who are in Gaza and really under a terrorist regime. And, you know, you can't, it, it's very difficult to say we're not gonna allow any money into Gaza when they are in desperate need. However, there perhaps have to be better regulations to make sure that money doesn't get funneled into the hands of terrorists and, you know, Israel tries to do that with the various blockades and limitations of what, what's allowed to go through uh, the, the checkpoints, what's allowed to pass through into Gaza. It's a very tricky situation. And 
I certainly don't have the answer um, for you know, how to maybe better regulate that. But it's, it's difficult because you want to be able to help the people of Gaza. But you, it's very hard to control where that money is going to go when Gaza is controlled by Hamas. You are very correct. And it's a terrible uh, moral dilemma because you know that if you stop the money from coming, for sure, that money is not going to end up with Hamas's military wing. But if you um, stop it from coming, then maybe some of it that really is going to be directed at civilian infrastructure issues is not going to get there as well. For, you know, as, as small as that part might be out of the, the entire cake, there is a real moral dilemma. And Israel has always tried to walk that thin line and do the right thing humanely. But at the end of the day, what we're seeing now is a terrible escalation that I think one of the questions that so many of our viewers may have at the moment is what happened? Like, what happened? Just a minute ago, we were discussing the Israeli political system, and now in a few days, the entire area sunk into what seems to be a, a geostrategic war between Israel, uh, Hamas, and, and to some degree, many Arab Israeli citizens who are rioting as we speak. So what happened, Tisha? Well, it's been building for probably several weeks. I would say, I'm not sure what you would point to as the, the spark. Um, there were several incidents on both from extremist groups, from uh, Jewish Israeli extremists and Arab Israeli extremists who were kind of uh, carrying out some sort of attacks on the street, like slapping people on the bus and things of that nature. This was several weeks ago, am I right? That there were things that were videotaped and so, then circulated on social media. So we go extremists back. We go back to social media, exactly like you say, and it actually started uh, right there um, when we had the TikToks uh, that went viral within the Palestinian society in which they were to film themselves striking a Jew, preferably an ultra-Orthodox. And it used to happen in main squares, high streets, or on the light rail. Um, that escalated because, you know, groups of uh, Palestinian teenagers would gather, gang up on Jews who made their way to the Kotel or were noticeably Jewish and would uh, kick them and strike at them, literally pogroms of the 1800s. And then, of course, extremist groups on the, on the Jewish side came to demonstrate in those neighborhoods. But the the beginning here was this viral uh, campaign on, on social media of, of Palestinian violence. And we have to call it out for what it was. This was an unprovoked Palestinian attack against Jewish presence in Jerusalem. Now things moved on. You know, we tend to forget, but three Israeli teenagers were shot only a few days ago, one of whom died um, as a result of Palestinian terror. So the escalation continued, but more than anything, I wanna point the finger at the elections that were supposed to take place in the Palestinian Authority. The elections that the head of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, who's 85, called off because he knew he may very well lose the elections to Hamas. Now, once that happened and Hamas knew they, they missed an opportunity because they, they would do the same they did in Gaza. They would try to play democratically and then use their military might to throw the Fatah people off the roofs. We've seen them do it in 2007. We would have seen them do it now. But at the same time, what happened was that they didn't get a chance to gain control through the election. So instead of casting ballots, they're going to cast rockets, missiles, and, and hurl rocks 
at innocent Israelis to show their presence. And even today, Ismail Haniya, the leader of Hamas says, we are the defenders of Jerusalem. So it's their attempt to position themselves in the internal Palestinian uh, discussion and conflict and using Israel for that purpose. The only thing is, that I think they also bound themselves into uh, uh, this problematic situation, because like you said, once they promise to fire and fulfill the promise to extend uh, the line of fire and to escalate, they're putting Israel at a point where Israel cannot look the other way. I am kind of hoping that we are witnessing this watershed moment in Israeli, um, strategically in Israel, that, that's going to look at Hamas and say what happened cannot continue. And what we've seen happening in the last couple of decades cannot carry on uh, into the future. This is literally an unlivable situation. And I just want to also stress the fact, since we're talking about the IDF response to all this, and you're saying it should be stronger or it should have been stronger, I really feel the need, it's so important to stress how the IDF operates and Israel's stance about these airstrikes, that they are specifically targeting terrorists, terrorist commanders, members of Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad. They are doing everything in their power, probably unlike almost any other army in the world, I would say, taking so much care to not hurt civilians. And unfortunately, in these situations, we do see civilian casualties and Israel tries to minimize that, issuing warnings to people to stay away from Hamas sites, telling them times that they're going to be hitting certain buildings, really going above and beyond. And, you know, the, the Israel consulate released a statement saying any, any civilian casualty is a, is a terrible thing. Nobody wants to see that. Israel does not want to see that. And you know, when you're on social media and you see what people are posting, I do find it just very necessary to remind people that the Israeli response, even though we have to be, they have to be tough and they have to be firm and we don't wanna see this situation again in, a several, in several years from now, it is also a moral army such, that it's not, such an it's not perfect. Point. It's not perfect. No. no, it's not perfect. There are always going to be things that happen that are regretful and terrible and that we mourn, but they really go above and beyond to minimize as much as possible any civilian casualties and to target the people who are actually launching the rockets. They managed to kill a senior commander. I believe he was the rocket arsenal commander for Palestinian Islamic Jihad, the man who is behind hundreds of these rockets being launched and senior members of that cell, which is a huge, amazing thing to be able to say we can target the specific person where he is, his members, and try and get anybody else out of the way so that we can stop this from happening. They're not just going to randomly drop bombs on Gaza. They're going to target specific attacks to minimize casualties. And that is not spoken about enough in the media. Right. And, and I, you know, you're absolutely correct, Tisha. And I think that that point cannot be stressed uh, enough because a lot of, you know, even we take it for granted because we assume that people know. And thank you for mentioning that point, because we live in a situation where literally on the one hand, you have Hamas casting a wide net of almost 200 missiles per wave of launch against innocent Israelis, hoping it's going to fall anywhere, injure as many people as possible, landing on buses, landing next to uh, educational institutions. The last one inj severely injured a five-year-old. This is their victory. 
an, an elderly woman in Ashkelon who couldn't make it to the shelter because she lived in an older house and who can't make it to her wheelchair so that she can wheel herself out, died as a result of those rockets. This is their pride. This is their victory. And at the same time, the IDF, like you said, Tisha, calls the buildings in Gaza and says, you know, in about one hour and five minutes, we will bombard this building. So kindly evacuate. This can't even be compared. Now we're seeing waves and waves of incitement on social media trying to depict as if Israel is committing this, you know, um, mass execution of Palestinians, lies, lies and wrong. And I want to take this opportunity to call upon our viewers to engage positively in the fight for Israel on public opinion. If you follow the Twitter accounts, Instagram accounts and others of the Israel Defense Forces, the consulate in New York, the foreign ministry, you will get first-hand account of those videos. Share them. Let people see it. You don't have to enter into arguments. Just place those facts in front of people so that they can see it for themselves. When three Israeli uh, youngsters are driving in Jerusalem and rocks are thrown at them just yesterday, and what happened as a result was that the car veered and bumped into the pavement and got stuck. And then dozens of Arab rioters stormed the car and bombarded it with rocks, injuring the three of them. And if it weren't for one Israeli police officer who jumped in between them and the mob at exactly the right time, firing in the air, the three of them would have been lynched in Jerusalem, the capital of the state of Israel in the year 2021. So this is a point we have to continuously stress about the humanity of the Israel Defense Forces. And like you said, Tisha, it was ridiculously correct um, how Israel announced as one of its achievements that they were able to target the commander of the rocket unit of Islamic Jihad, who was at a certain apartment at a certain time, the ability to target and take one individual out while Hamas is hoping for dozens of innocent to die. How can anyone stand and support such an organization, even those who supposedly support the Palestinians. This is a recipe for Palestinian catastrophe because what's happening now in Gaza is a clear indication that a state is so far in, on the menu, so far for them to be able to actually take a piece of territory and manage it for the betterment of their people. And this is a really tragic moment that takes the Palestinians years, years backwards. And I believe that we will see the ramifications of this moment, sadly, for years to come. I'm going to try and stay optimistic, Shahar, and hope that things uh, get resolved quickly, that we can have calm and quiet okay. in Israel. In you know, by the time we wake up tomorrow morning, I really hope and pray. And we also want to say, because we know we have viewers in Israel, that you have all our support and we're with you. And to please stay safe. And really, we hope for calm and quiet and for a return to a situation where we can have dialogue, where we can have diplomacy. And I'm, I'm going to hold on to that optimism and hope. Same here, but I can tell you that on, on that note of diplomacy, there is another troubling um, phenomenon that's taking place in Israel today as we speak, and that is riots that come from within the Israeli Arab community. The city of Lod tonight, tonight has seen already the torching of three synagogues, dozens of cars, Jewish families who lived in mixed neighborhoods 
are being evacuated by Israeli police for fear of their lives. In one instance, uh, in, in a mixed building that housed Arabs and Jews together, the Arab neighbors were showing the rioters which direction to throw the rocks at the Jewish families who live in that building. This is a grave, grave development in Israel because we were already so optimistic in our desire to promote coexistence, to see Arab parties, including the Islamic movement, who is going to rise to the occasion and be part of Israel's government again to help that exact Arab-Israeli community that has been underrepresented or only represented from the opposition, from the ranks of the opposition. And what's happening now is really so sad and tragic to see. The wounds now will take years to heal. We will read about what's happening tonight and it's happening not only in Lod, it's happening in Akko and Acre, it's happening in Haifa and in other mixed cities. And it's really a troubling development that we're witnessing. I received just, uh, just now a note that the only leader who expressed anything in this regard was Mansour Abbas of Ram, the uh, famous politician who broke through and tried to create a government with the uh, uh, Zionist parties. And he calls to cessation of violence on both sides and against harming the innocent. Again, important, not enough, but important. While Ayman Ode, by the way, the head of the joint Arab list tweeted a video earlier today inciting, by the way, a video that garnered millions of views, claiming that Israel was um, responsible for the fire on Temple Mount, fire that was caused by a firework that Palestinians were throwing up in the mountain. So we need more in the direction of Mansour Abbas and stronger, much stronger, and with many more leaders than what we're seeing now. And unless it's done very quickly, it's gonna have immediate ramifications. And I guess also on what's gonna happen with the next government in the state of Israel. Lots to discuss and to hope for, uh, as you and I uh, agree that uh, things get resolved and that we see some calm and peace. There are very many issues. And right now it's just a powder keg and it's really very difficult to calm things down. Um, Let's hope for it. Let's hope for the best in uh, the next day or so to come. Let me just ask you this, um, since, you know, we're approaching the end. How is your family doing in Israel? What did you hear from them? They're really doing OK. Um, you know, it's, it's always tricky when you're in Israel, when things like this happen. You've lived there. I've lived there. And when you're outside of it, it's um, you understand basically what they're feeling, but it is still different. You're not in that situation yourself. So they're really doing okay. They are concerned and they're upset, but as they say, you know, the life goes on and they try and do the best they can. And if, depending on where they live, if they, every time there's a siren, they go to the safe room. If they're not in an area where that's an issue, they're just watching the news constantly. And, uh, you know, at the same time, like you said, this is not anything really new, but it is still very upsetting and frightening when it happens. And I just want them to know that they have our support and that we're thinking of all of them and uh, that we really, really hope that things calm down very, very soon. You know, we, um, I can tell you that I spoke, you know, throughout the day, I speak with family and friends in Israel who spend the night in the shelters. Um, I spoke with my mother earlier today. She was exactly as we were speaking, we heard the sirens. She was running into the safe room in the house 
with um, my two nephews. Um, I have to say it wasn't easy, you know, when you're far away from family in such a moment, it creates humongous frustration, I can tell you for me. So we try to do our best here to convey the message for Israel. Um, my mother was, of course, very upset, and I could hear my uh, seven-year-old nephew reassuring her and telling her, come on, Grandma, we are here in the safe room. We have Iron Dome. We just have to keep it cool for a while, and it'll be okay. Don't worry so much. And what, what an amazing moment when the, yeah. the, the sound of, this is the sound of children in Israel, isn't it, Tisha? It is, and you know, that gave me chills when you just said that, because the reality is that children in Israel... This is their part of their reality. And it's tragic that that is something that they are, you know, that your nephew was giving words of comfort. This is something that unfortunately was familiar to him. Not that it isn't still very, very terrifying. I included in my newscast tonight video from Sterot of a, of a young man who was walking down the street with his little sister and the sirens rang and they didn't have enough time to get anywhere. So he just threw himself down on the ground on top of her. And he, and she kept saying, can we run? Can we go now? And he's like, just another minute, just another minute. She's like, can we go now? He, he's like, it's okay, let's be in one more minute. This is, this is unfortunately a very, very sad reality. And- um, You know, it, it reminds me of, of one more thing that we sometimes um, tend to forget or leave out in the general discussion. We have those who, you know, God forbid, lose their lives. We have others who are injured. But then there are so many cases of trauma. You know, kids mm -hmm. who have grown up specifically in the south of Israel because it suffered the most, but, you know, now you can see it's all over, who've been growing up in, under the shadow of these rockets for two decades, who spent all of their lives, you know, who grew up to the sound of siren in 2001 and then find themselves in 2019 joining the IDF to fight exactly the same rockets. So, you know, the, to measure the impact on, on those children, on those yep. towns and villages. It's an ongoing work for many Israelis and first responders who also do the psychological work with the communities there, but they should, they're also worth a mention. And I wanna say that um, I'm hoping to speak with one of those residents in an upcoming ITN who deals with those issues and you know suffers from this situation for so many years. It'll be very interesting to hear that kind of perspective from on the ground. But like you said, Tisha, all of Israel is uh, on our minds and in our hearts tonight, yesterday, tomorrow, and forever, because we have only one Jewish state and we will do all that we can to safe keep it and preserve it for generations to come. For one thing I never forget is how fortunate we are, in spite of everything, to be alive at such a time when we have a strong country, a strong people, and a strong Israel Defense Forces that leaves us at the mercy of no one. Thank you, Shachar. And uh, I will just say again that we, 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 as you know, the national anthem for the state of Israel is Hatikva, the hope. And I think that hope is something Israelis are really good at holding on to, even when things are really bad. We hope for the best and uh, we hope for, for peaceful times ahead. I'd like to thank, uh, thank you very much, Tisha. It was a pleasure speaking with you. And I'd like to say a big thank you to all of our viewers, who many of you are so concerned about what's happening in Israel. And at least we've been able to come together to discuss, to see what's happening, and we will continue to follow on the situation. I'd like to thank you all for watching. 
and let you all know, just stay safe, stay healthy and stay happy. Continue to sound your support for Israel in this time of need. I'd like to take a moment and thank our director, Sloan Copeland, JBS's managing director, Dara Golub, our technical manager, Michael Paley, transmission manager, John McDevitt, and to our wonderful producer of In the News, Carol Lilienthal. For JBS, I'm Shahar Azani. Until next time, see you soon. Shalom and lehitraun.